dive into scripture, uh, I want to lead us in prayer. This is a point in our service, uh, if you're newer to us, where our church comes together and sort of together we pray about some things that really matter to the heart of God, and so therefore they matter to us. And so I will lead us in prayer and just ask you to sort of silently pray along in agreement uh, with what's being said. Uh, we're going to pray about two things this morning, uh, both of which were highlighted by experiences I've had in just the last 72 hours. Uh, one is the opportunity to reach out to our surrounding community with the love of Jesus, uh, yesterday, we had a group of us that went over to Tobias Elementary School and pulled weeds and trimmed rose bushes and laid bark dust and got them ready to bring kids back onto campus for the first time in over a year. Uh, the opportunity to talk with, with staff and faculty there uh, and continue to, who have been there for several years, and we've done this now for several years, continue to build a relationship with them and help serve them in the midst of what they are doing uh, is a huge opportunity. And then uh, just a couple days before that, I had the opportunity to sit at a lunch with pastors from all around the Hillsboro area. Uh, many of these are people I've known for years as, as fellow servants of Jesus here in our city. Uh, we haven't gathered very much this last year because of the pandemic. It was great to come together again and celebrate our heart to make Jesus known in our city because that's what it's about. And so that's what I want to lead us in prayer for. Uh, not only for our community and our ability to express the love of Christ clearly to them, but also for our church and all the other churches in this city that are founded on the gospel of Christ, that God would use us to make his name known. So church, would you join me in just pleading with our God to make himself known through us? Holy Father, we are so, so grateful. God, I am so overwhelmed at times. Uh, thinking about your greatness. It's so good for my soul to come here and sing about your greatness because my heart and mind are filled with a bunch of other things during the week. Things that uh, seem overwhelming, things that have nothing to do with you. Sometimes the world seems so out of control and our experience of it oftentimes is. But God, what a great joy and pleasure to see you making yourself known in the worst and darkest of circumstances in the lives of people. God, I want to pray for our friends over at Tobias Elementary School. Thank you for those in our church who came out and gave a morning to uh, pour some sweat and some muscle soreness into helping beautify not only our own homes and our own projects, but our community and one of its schools, helping them get ready to welcome kids back for the first time in a year in, in a very, very tough educational environment. God, we pray for them. We, we pray for their success for the faculty and the staff at Tobias, their success in communicating with and, and understanding the needs of, perhaps the unique needs this year of the students that they will be teaching. God, I would pray that for those, those teachers and those, those staff members at Tobias to be effective educators, to be able to sense the needs in the lives of some of the students, perhaps that they even can't meet and get them connected to resources to meet those needs. God, we pray that Tobias would be a successful place for students and families to learn and to grow. And God, we thank you for Andrew, the principal there, and Victor, who leads uh, their uh, facilities department, our ability to build relationships with these guys over the years. God, we thank you for them, and we pray that through our church and our service, you would help many of the faculty, staff members, and families of Tobias to see your love in a very real way. Jesus, you came and you washed people's feet. What a joy to be able to throw a little bark dust. It's not too much to ask in your name. God, use these efforts, we pray, through our church in this community. And, and I pray the same for churches all over this community. 
Father, how encouraging to see other pastors and leaders from so many other Hillsborough churches coming together in the spirit of partnering in the gospel together for your glory. God, I pray that you would bless the ministry of your churches in Hillsborough, including this one, but not just limited to us. Father, we confess that at times, as members of your churches, we don't truly see the people around us. We may see them as we drive past them on the, on the freeway or, or walk past them in the grocery store, but we don't often truly see them. We don't see them as people. We don't have the compassion and love that we so celebrate you having for us. God, where that is true, we confess it. We confess our sin of self-absorption and pray, having confessed it, that you would forgive us of that sin and that you would cleanse us of it. God, I pray for for followers of Jesus all around our city in churches this morning, would you help us to see people with the compassion with which you see them? That you would help us to understand and, and recognize opportunities to love and serve people, to make space in our lives for the co-workers and the fellow students and the neighbors right around us to build relationships and seek ways to love and serve. Father, I thank you for our partnership as churches in this city. We pray for an awakening in our City, We pray for, for an awakening of your people. Awaken us to our neighbors to see people the way that you see them. And Father, would you awaken them to you? God, whatever burdens they bear, the ultimate answers are not going to be found in the internet. They're not going to be found in an educational program or the help wanted column in a new job. They're not going to be found on the dating app or in a new relationship they're certainly not going to be found in the refrigerator or in our entertainment. God, our souls are crying out for one thing that only you can fulfill, and that is in your Son. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would awaken people to their need for the gospel, that you would clarify and communicate the gospel and draw hundreds of people before this year is out right here in Hillsborough to saving faith in Christ, transform lives, transform eternities. We pray, God, for our good, for your glory, and for the name, the glory of your name. And pray in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me, church. We have an opportunity now, as we do every Sunday, to open up God's Word and walk through it a little bit more carefully. It's uh, so good to hear God's Word read uninterrupted, as Chad did for us. And now our friend Bondin, who is a guest speaker, but he's been here with us a couple times before, has agreed to come back this Sunday. So Bondin, if you'd come on up here now, he's going to lead us through Psalm 6, as we can see the message God has for us and soak in God's goodness. Good morning, everyone, once again. It, uh, and once again, it really is truly a, a joy and a privilege to be gathered with you this morning and to open God's Word uh, before you this morning as well. Let me, let me just briefly pray for our time. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you hear us. Uh, thank you that we are able to speak with you. As we look at the psalm, Lord, uh, give us wisdom and insight. Help us to grow in our love for you and Help us to grow in our trust in you. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Of course, 
the Ghostbusters are unfortunately fictional characters. So when there is something strange in our neighborhoods, who do you call? In some cases, you might call 911. In other cases, maybe you're just going through something. You call up a friend or a parent or a spouse, something like that. You know, there are lots of people or things or resources we can call when we're in trouble. But what about those times when there's no one to call? When I was about 10 years old, I was biking around the city with some of my friends, and we split up to play a game. And a few minutes kind of into trying to track down my buddies, I realized that I had no idea where I was. I had no idea where they were. I was lost. This was the first and only time I've ever been lost in my life. No cell phone, no real sense of direction. I was in a new part of the city. Who was I supposed to call then? What about you? I bet, I bet you've been in a similar situation. Maybe you haven't been lost, but I bet you've been in a situation where life has brought some sort of trouble on you and you've sat there and asked that same question. Who am I supposed to call? Where can I turn? What can I do? These are times that can feel hopeless, terrifying, lonely, isolating. But as it so often does, God's word has an answer for us, and God's word has a word of hope for us this morning as well. Now, troubles, they will always plague us. They may never resolve exactly how we'd like them to. But in moments when we feel like we have nowhere else to turn, even in moments where we might have some help, there is a God who listens. And in the psalm we're going to look at today, it encourages us, it exhorts us to cry out to this God, to our God that we just sung about it. It exhorts us and encourages us to cry out to Him in our times of trouble. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to open up to Psalm 6, which was just read a moment ago. And I wonder if as it was being read, if you just noticed, it is raw, it is real, it's full of emotion. It's, it's very personal, wasn't it? You know, David is crying out to the Lord. But even so, even this psalm that seems very personal, you know, I think it was written as a model as a, a personal prayer that teaches others how to pray too. And so, I think we have much to learn from Psalm 6 this morning. Psalm 6, I think it splits up into two parts. Uh, I wonder even if you kind of noticed a thematic shift as it was being read. So in verses 1 to 7, we're going to see some requests. David, he's crying out, he's making requests. And then in verses 8 to 10, we're going to see some resolution. The situation that David's in, it resolves. And what we'll see is that these requests teach us a pattern of prayer, a posture of prayer even. And then we're going to see that the resolutions teach us a posture of hope. So kind of a way to pray and then a way or something to hope in. That's kind of what we're going to see this morning through this psalm. And 
in all of this, what we're going to kind of learn, the, really the sentence I want to drive home that I want to stick in your minds is this. In times of trouble, call out to the God who listens. In times of trouble, call out to the God who listens. So let's look at this psalm in a little bit more depth. We're going to see David's requests and how they teach us a posture of prayer in verses 1 to 7. I'll just read them again to remind us of what was said. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Now, it's good to remember that some psalms, they actually give us kind of an explanation or a little bit of background information as to why the psalm was written. In fact, last time I was here, we, we looked at Psalm 51, and we saw that the, the superscript, the kind of background information at the top, it was really, really helpful in uh, giving us the context and helping us think through why it was written. Maybe If you were here, maybe you remember that. Unfortunately, this morning, Psalm 6 doesn't give us much information, does it? You know, I don't want to assume anything. Maybe all of you are very familiar with the Sheminith, um, but I'm guessing most of us have no idea what that is. If you're curious, you can ask Matt. He uh, is an expert on the Sheminith. <laughs> uh, well, it does tell us, though, it, it does tell us something. It, it doesn't give us you know, no information. It tells us that it's a psalm of David. Uh, that means it was most likely written by David. If it wasn't, it was written by someone kind of like a la David, right? Or in remembrance of David, something like that. Either way, we don't know exactly when it was written. We don't know exactly what was going on in David's life, you know, to kind of make him or someone else write this psalm. But we do know that David had a pretty tough life, actually, despite being a king, right? When, when I think of a king, I think of luxury and comfort and all of those things. That was not always the case for David. You know, in case you're unfamiliar, in case you've kind of just forgot, like, the, the story of David's life, David spent a lot of time living on the run from his enemies. He, he lived in his palace sometimes, but if he wasn't in his palace, he was, like, in caves or just in the open fields on the lamb, running away, basically trying to not get killed. He had a pretty difficult life as far as king's lives go. His life was filled with significant troubles. It was filled with significant trials. His own son staged a coup. I mean, all sorts of things like that. And so I think it's really instructive for us to kind of see who the psalmist, who David, cries out to in his moments of difficulty. He cries out to the Lord. So what's he say? Well, we actually see him make a few requests here. If you look back at verse 1, he asks the Lord to kind of stay his hand, to hold back from rebuke or discipline against him. In verses 2 and 3, he asks God for gracious healing. He's so weak and shaken, he needs the Lord to heal him. Then in verse 4 and 5, he asks for rescue. 
You know, save me. Save me from this trial. He entreats God to act, not because of what you know, David's done or anything like that, but he, he's like, God, please act out of your faithful love, out of your mercy. Help me. Three requests, all of which are really different ways of asking to be delivered from some problem. And we don't know exactly what David was going through. We don't know the exact problem that he was facing here. But we do know, whatever it was, it was emotionally and physically draining for David. Look at 6 and 7. I'm weary with my moaning. I'm flooding my bed with tears. I'm drenching my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away. Have you ever cried so hard that your eye wastes away? That's what David's going through here. In many ways, the first half of Psalm 6, it is a cry for deliverance, a request for help when there's nowhere else to turn. And I think it begs the question, what do you need to be delivered from? A global pandemic? Financial insecurity, health issues, mental or physical, loneliness, a dead-end job, monotony, unruly children. What do you need deliverance from? Maybe for you it's none of those things, but I'm sure there's something. I'm sure each of us this morning have something or some things, plural, that we need deliverance from. Let me be really clear. In many of these situations, there are actions that we can take to help deliver us. There are things we should do kind of on this road to deliverance. So if, you know, hypothetically you receive a cancer diagnosis, there are things you can do, actions you can take, such as chemotherapy, to, to help you on this road to potential deliverance. So I don't think this psalm is telling us to kind of let go and let God when, you know, especially when our problems have solutions that are visible or available or possible. So I just want to be really clear on that before I say what I'm going to say next. Oftentimes God blesses us with means to help ourselves. You know, just kind of, I need to just pray harder and then forget about it. No, that's not what this psalm is saying. But this psalm is giving us a posture of prayer and I think it instructs us in our times of trouble, in these times when we need deliverance, to turn first to God. Then we might seek help elsewhere. There might be avenues that can help us. But I think what this psalm is teaching us is that our first instinct in times of trouble should be to go to God in prayer. That's the posture of prayer this psalm teaches us. David in this psalm, he is so troubled. In verse kind of two and three, he's shaking from fear. And so even when our problems have like a, a potential kind of solution or some help, it doesn't mean our problems aren't any less scary. So, I mean, if you get a cancer diagnosis, even with chemotherapy, all these different things, that's still terrifying. And so this psalm teaches us at our times of trouble, they should lead us to pray. We don't pray because God's like a, a magic genie and we just kind of send him our wish and he helps us. 
Rather, our reverence for God, our trust in God, and our knowledge of who He is. I mean, we, we, Bruce, thank you for the songs you picked out this morning. It really set up this vast and grand picture of who our God is. That's the God we pray to. That's the God who's powerful enough to help us in times of trouble. That reverence for Him, that trust in Him, that knowledge of who He is, that should lead us to pray like David. In times of trouble, call out to the God who listens. Indeed, this psalm encourages us to take our problems to God. It encourages us to cry out to Him when we are dismayed. Like 10-year-old me when I was lost. So, so, so often our, our, pro- our problems, our troubles, they can be terrifying, they can be isolating, we can feel alone in them. And yet we have a God who listens, who hears us. You know, this past year, perhaps you've felt isolated. Perhaps through this pandemic, mental health struggles have kind of been rampant for you. Physical health has been difficult. Things have felt hopeless or endless. Life has felt monotonous. You've felt stuck. You have someone you can go to in prayer. God, a God who listens, a God who hears you, a God who cares about you and loves you. What an encouragement that is. Perhaps you're here this afternoon and you, you feel like this all sounds like kind of just a silly coping mechanism. Sounds like wishful thinking. But let me, let me be so bold to ask, when you are in trouble, when you are despaired, where do you turn? You know, what gives you comfort? What, what are you hoping in in those times? How do you cope? You know, is your hope that kind of just the notion that you know, things, they'll just get better someday? I just know it. They'll, they'll get better. Maybe your hope is just that the problem, it'll solve itself. It'll go away. It'll disappear. Because hoping in those things, hoping in kind of this ethereal future, hoping that just things will get better, they just have to, well, that doesn't sound all that much different than hoping in God, except for one thing. If, in fact, there is a God who is powerful and who hears then it would seem that calling out to him, as crazy as that might seem, that is in fact a solution to our problems. You know, so often we just want someone to hear us when we, when we are in trouble. And, and God hears us when we call out to him. So often in our struggles, we just need to turn somewhere. We're all turning somewhere with our problems. We're turning to people or things to deliver us. People and things, they're fallible. They let us down. They don't come through. But God, He is powerful. He does come through. And so I get it. This morning you might be here, you might just be thinking to yourself, man, like turning to God, that just sounds foolish. I get it. But consider, if someone truly believes that God exists, then actually, logically, turning to Him is the best decision they could make. Because God is powerful, and loving, and good. This isn't a coping mechanism. What I'm saying isn't a coping mechanism. This is an outworking of faith. 
we're all turning somewhere. We're all putting our trust in things or people. I would invite you this morning to consider what it would look like for you to actually turn to God with your troubles. A God who's powerful enough to do something and a God who loves you and listens to you when you call to him. Well, we've seen how David's requests, they teach us a posture of prayer. He cried out to God in his need quite boldly, as we've seen, and it's instructive for us to do the same. So with these requests in mind, let's now take a look at verses 8 to 10, and we're going to see how this resolution, it teaches us a posture of hope. I'll I'll read them for us again since it's been a moment. Verse 8, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Well, in verse 8, David, he shifts from kind of asking God to act, and he instead kind of turns and tells his enemies to depart. Why? Why does he do this? Well, because God has heard his prayer. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. What's that mean for David? David seems to be confident in verse 10 that that means his enemies will be ashamed. They will be turned back. The problem that David was going through, or at least one of these problems, it is solved. We don't know exactly what was going on, as I've said before, but we do know that God seems to have answered David's prayer. God's delivered David, at least from these enemies. I mean, this this section, it is a stark contrast from what we read before, isn't it? You know, before David, he was in dire straits. He's weary, crying out, dismayed, hopeless. But here, oh, he's confident. He's hopeful. We feel it in the language. Before, it was, rescue me. How long? I'm weary. I'm troubled. It's completely shifted. Now, depart from me. My enemies will shake with terror. I'm heard. Despite the weariness of the first half of this psalm, this resolution is filled with hope. God hears. God accepts the prayer. Evildoers, the enemy, they are turned back. And you know, I can think of many times in which my life looked like these verses. I prayed to God. I made requests. And my problem was solved. I was delivered. That time I was lost, I prayed to God and suddenly my friend, you know, appeared and I was like, hey, I was lost. And then I was kind of found by my buddy. I bet you've experienced this too. The second part of this psalm, it should fill us with great hope. Hope that God hears us. Hope that God answers prayer. Hope that God acts. Hope that God delivers But even with all this hope, we need to remember something, don't we? 
This is a psalm. It's wisdom literature, which means it's painting a picture of how things should go. It's painting a picture of how things often go. But it's not painting a picture of how things always go. Prayers get answered. My prayers have been answered. Your prayers, I'm sure, have been answered. And yet for all the times that things have worked out like how I wanted them to, how many times have I cried out to God and things didn't quite resolve? How many times have I cried out to God and my prayer wasn't answered? How many times have I felt stuck in verses 6 and 7 with no 8 to 10 in sight? What about you? Have you felt, found yourself crying out to God for deliverance only to have your prayers seemingly fall on deaf ears? Theologically, a psalm like this, it, it tells us that God is listening. We know He hears us. We know, though, however, that God's not a vending machine. We put our order in and it comes out. God's not a genie. We make our wish and it happens. Just because we ask doesn't necessarily mean we will receive. Or doesn't necessarily mean we'll receive exactly how we wanted it to, does it? So what do we make of this tension? We should cry out to God. We should pray to God. We should request. That's what this psalm instructs and teaches us to do. And yet we live in this tension that resolution might not always come. It might not always come how we want. What do we do with this? I think one way to help us think through this would be by considering someone in the New Testament who also cried out to God for deliverance. This person was also a king who, like David in verse 1, sought to avoid God's wrath. It was a person who was trembling and weak and needed to be delivered from death. Listen as I read the words of Jesus from Mark 14, 33 to 36. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Just like the psalmist, Jesus, distressed and grieved, cried out to God for deliverance in that garden. Multiple times that night, Jesus prayed that he might be delivered from the terrible death that awaited him. But Jesus also prayed that whatever happened to him, it would be God's will. Jesus prayed knowing that there was no other way. There was not going to be deliverance. But it was God's plan to save humanity from their sins. 
Jesus' prayer did not end with the hopeful note of verses 8 to 10 in Psalm 6. Enemies being turned away, turned back. No, Jesus' prayer ended with him being turned into his enemies. Jesus' prayer ended with him being turned over to death on a cross and yet through his death and through his subsequent resurrection we all have hope that when we cry out to God for deliverance from our greatest enemy, sin and death, God not only hears us, but he acts and rescues us and saves us and gives us eternal life. Oh, what an encouragement it is. Not just the gospel. The gospel is surely an encouragement. But what an encouragement it is to know that we are not alone when our prayers go unanswered or unresolved. Jesus himself felt what that feels like. I have a lot of friends or acquaintances over the years that have been angry with God because of unanswered prayer. They prayed, they prayed, and God didn't come through. And they're just done with God. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's your experience. Maybe you're angry with God. Why didn't he answer my prayers? And yet if Jesus himself experienced his prayer being unanswered, then of course we as humans can expect to face that too. I don't want to diminish the difficulty uh, and the disappointment of unanswered prayer. I've been there. It is extremely disappointing. It's extremely troubling. It's difficult. Friend, if you've gone through that, I just want you to know I empathize with you and I'm certain there are many people here who know what that is like, empathize with you as well. I really want to get the point across that while it's so easy to be angry with God, in the gospel there's great comfort for us when our prayers aren't answered. Jesus experienced that too. Jesus knows what it's like to have prayer go unanswered. And I think this truth should encourage us. We aren't alone in this. We aren't alone in this struggle. We aren't alone in, in those troubling times. And I think we should be encouraged. If God can use unanswered prayer in Jesus' life for so much good, then that should give us hope. That when our prayers go unanswered, when they resolve differently, like, we actually have hope that God can use that for good too. And that in the moment, it might not seem like it. We might never even see the good that comes from it. But if God used perhaps the worst experience and, and thing that's ever happened, the Son of God, Jesus, being killed on a cross, if God can use that for so much good, and I, I believe truly that he can use our struggles, our troubles, our unanswered prayer for good as well. in all this, this fact that sometimes prayer, it's not answered. I, I think it should serve to remind us prayer is not a magic spell. We don't just say the right words and, and then God answers it. 
It's a posture of trust. That's what prayer is. It's trust in who God is and turning to Him because of it. And it's a posture of hope as well. Hope that God hears us and hope that God does act and hope that God will act, whether how we want or in some other way, for our good and the good of those around us. We should pray. We should pray boldly. We should pray expectantly because God does answer prayer. But ultimately, we should pray to God because of our great trust in Him. Not always expecting Him to answer how we want, but knowing that He will help us through our troubles. Knowing that He will deliver us, even if deliverance looks completely unexpected or different. Even when deliverance doesn't feel like deliverance. The resolution of Psalm 6, it teaches us a posture of hope. Once again, not that God's just this cosmic vending machine or magic genie that always does exactly what we say. Rather, that God hears us, that God does act, and that Jesus himself knows what we go through when things don't turn out how we'd like. Psalm 6, it is an immensely personal prayer. And yet I think it's so instructive for us because so often it's our prayer. We've seen the requests. We've seen how they teach us a posture of prayer to go to God with our troubles. We've seen the resolution and the posture of hope that it should give us, hope in this God who does hear us. And so likewise, we should in times of trouble call out to the God who listens. When problems arise, when fears well up, who are you going to call? Psalm 6 encourages us to call out to the Lord. So as you go out from here into your day, into your weeks, I hope it's a great day. I hope it's a great week for you. And yet I think if we're being honest, we know that this week, even maybe this day, this month, it's going to bring trouble. Because that's just life. And so as these things pop up, as struggles come up, as troubles come up, as fears well up, let Psalm 6 encourage you. In times of trouble, call out to the God who listens. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you great thanks and great praise that you hear us when we, when we cry out to you. God, thank you that you are not a God who is distant. You are a God who is near and close. You hear us. Thank you that we can talk to you. Thank you that we can, in fact, pray to you. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would encourage all of us in times of trouble to cry out to you. We pray that you would answer our prayers. We pray that when our prayers, though, don't answer how we'd like, don't resolve how we'd like, God, give us great trust in you and hope in you that you can use these instances for our good. Thank you for your son, Jesus who's experienced this. Thank you for the hope we have in him. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to worship and Natalie leads us in goodness of God. <laughs>